Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. Um, and uh, my name is Chris Denson. In case you didn't know, this, this is your first time tuning in. This show covers all things marketing, innovation, ideas, uh, smart people in the marketplace, smart entrepreneurs, uh, and the ball doesn't stop today with a fantastic guest and actually my personal innovation crush, uh, the editor-in-chief of Fast Company. Say hello, Bob Safian. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing good. pretty good. Um, <laughs> I'm getting over a bout of food poisoning. Do I sound like I was sick? Last no, no, you're, you're holding it down well, which I really appreciate. I'm literally holding it down well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, I guess for starters, can you kind of give me and the audience a little bit of 101 on who Bob Safian is? Who I am? Yes. Oh, well, yes, I am. I'm the editor of Fast <laughs> Company, which is, uh, you know, New York-based business media. We've got a print magazine that reaches about... Uh, 800,000 people a month. And we've got a, a digital site that reaches about 11 million a month. And we cover the, the business of technology, the business of change, um, uh, creativity. You know, there's a lot of business media out there that we feel like is kind of slow sometimes and, and boring and um, doesn't appropriately represent the, uh, the, the energy that most of us feel when we go to work um, that that business is a, a a major vehicle for progress in our world, and we like to cover that and encourage that, and uh, and and try to you know make it easier for people to do the hard job of thinking up new things and um, you know and engaging with new ideas, which all institutions you know, fight against even those that say they want to embrace this idea of innovation. Yeah. That's, it's, it's funny that you, you mentioned that, you know, I think when I, when I look at a fast company, I see this like broad swath of like just really cool stuff and, you know, and well put together from an editorial and curatorial standpoint. Um, and then as many of these inspiring stories you hear, there's so many large, you know, I won't even say large companies, but just organizations that still don't know how to adapt. Um, you know, so where do, where do you find that like fast company plays a role in like informing versus inspiring? I think the the mission really is more more about inspiring than informing. Obviously, we want to be informing. We think of ourselves as teachers. And we're trying to use, you know, engaging stories and engaging pictures, engaging headlines, images, videos, and so on to try to, to, try to get our, our students and our audience engaged in, in the topic. Um, but the information is going to shift all the time, right? And the, the, I think the answers to uh, the questions that will drive an innovation and an innovative enterprise um, the answers are different every time. That's part of what makes it innovative, right? So, so you know, by that by that definition, the the opportunities and the, and the task is really inspiring. It's inspiring people to to take to take that leap and to dig in and figure out what the answer is, and even sometimes simply what the question is for them and for their enterprise for their situation. That's great. Uh, you know, and I like to think that, you know, those there's multiple touch points of the fast company brand, right? Like, you know, you think of most publications, you think of them as sort of one track where you guys have video content and you've obviously played the social media card very well. 
Um, you've got a series of events you do every year. You know, can you just walk us through some of, you know, a few like key assets and components and even some of the thinking behind like, how do we, you know, we're going to add on this functionality this year and we're going to do this thing next year. Like what is, what is some of the, I don't know, the rules of engagement, <laughs> if you will. In, in the, sure. The I, I wish, I wish those rules were real static. It'd make it a lot easier for me. <laughs> um, you know, my, my background, you asked about me earlier on, like my background, I, I have grew up as a print magazine person. I, I worked as a, as a top editor at time and at, uh, at money and at fortune before I came to fast company. And so I love, I love the print part of uh, the experience and I love constructing things in print and uh, the the lushness of that experience the immersion that you get in it and the the necessity to to edit down to um, a smaller universe of content um, and I and I, I do think that there's a critical place in our world and in our media mix for what print offers but I I you know we also have to recognize that every one of our consumers and one of our potential target readers um, is going to consume content in a different way. And so we have to be uh, platform agnostic about how we engage with, with our readers and where and the different ways that we distribute our content. So, you know, we have, as I said, a, a website that's, that's robust, that we're reaching 11 million people a month. And we have that website sort of organized to be about innovation and about design and about technology and about world changing ideas and creativity. And, and those are sort of the tranches that we that we build our content around. But we are also reaching, you know, more than a million people a month on Flipboard. Um, we wow. have a couple of million, you know, uh, followers on social media, as you mentioned. And, and we have to take the perspective that um, if all you want to do is follow my, our fast company's tweet stream and you never read an article and we never sell an ad against you and you never buy a product from us, but you're satisfied with that. Um, that's gotta be okay with us. Right. And if you're someone who would rather engage with us in person and we have live events that we do across the country and, it, and if we have to make those experiences satisfying for you, and if that's all what you want, that's okay. And if all you want is to, you know, download our app and, and read us on, on your iPad or on your phone, that's okay too. You know, we, we have to be open to, to all of those things. Um, the, well, in that, well, in that case though, like, you know, then what becomes sort of like, I think most organizations, right there, the, the whole idea behind their presence on all these platforms is like, they want to convert somebody to a paying something. Right. Is that, you know, or is, is that a metric of fast companies or is that sort of you guys want brand presence and brand lift brand affinity? Like what is the, what's the difference? What's the payoff? Is, what's the is my, is my owner listening in? If he's listening in <laughs> yes. Yes. It's all, it's all about converting that to, uh, to a paying customer. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I think we try to take a long-term perspective about this and we believe that if we're delivering a compelling experience to a, a consumer who is discerning and distinctive, then in the long run, we'll figure out how to extract value from that. But that the starting point isn't like, how do I maximize the value exchange? Because all that's going to do is, is make me try to push you as a, as a user into a bucket that's most valuable for me. And I'm going to undercut the long-term value of our relationship, right? I, I'm, I'm building a relationship. I'm building a community. I'm hopefully providing a resource that you as a user have some passionate engagement with. 
and and we believe that in the long run we'll figure out the best ways to um, to generate revenue against that. I mean, right now the 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 biggest driver of our revenue of our business is advertising revenue, as as with most media businesses. And you know we generate about as much revenue from you know uh, a million or eight hundred thousand people in print as we do from eleven million people digitally. Um, if you look at that per person revenue stream, I should be trying to drive as many people from digital back to print. Um, and that would be great if I could have, you know, all 11 million of those people on the magazine and I could make a lot more money in print, but I just don't think that's realistic. And that's not the way that, you know, those consumers are satisfied with, with engaging with the content. So I have to adjust my models. Right. My expectations. No, it's, I mean, it's a great lesson learned, right? Is this idea of like being adaptive to what the, what the world is actually doing and what they're privy to. I mean, especially when you, like you said, you have all these different platforms that you're on and people engage in different ways and what's meaningful to them and how to engage and interact is going to be different. You know, I think I, I literally just started reading the print version of Fast Company last year, right? <laughs> so um, versus like, oh, cool, like I read a cool article, I share it out, you know, it's one of my kind of go-tos in the morning. But um, but then I sit down and there's this long form story there. And I, and I start to think about like how journalism has changed just, you know, in the, what, it's been 20 years that the Fast Company has been around, correct? 20 years this year, that's right. Happy, happy birthday. Um, <laughs> how's it feel to be 20 again, Bob? Yeah, you know, I haven't been here all twenty right. years, so I'm 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 very proud of this, like an uncle, you know, <laughs> like, like oh. an uncle at, at at a child's birthday. It's it's great nice. to, to come of this age. Well, you know, but if if you think about this whole ecosystem that you're dealing with, you know, what's changed in the past twenty years about getting good content and information out there versus, and you've been obviously been in the publication business for a while. You know, what changes about how you how you, the the strategies behind staying relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's two ways to look at it. I think from a consumer's point of view, um, it's a terrific. There's been a terrific flowering of content. There's more content of more kinds available in more, more ways than ever before. Many of them that you don't have to pay for, you pay very little for. Um, it's a tr- it's a tremendous uh, tremendous boon for for consumers. Again, think of all the people who use Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat. Nobody pays for it. You know, like it's right? It, it's this, it's this free resource. It's tremendous, right. tremendous opportunity. Um, from the point of view of content creators, what that does is it raises the bar, right? It forces us to, to have to do what we do at a, at a higher level and to be clear about what is our story and what isn't our story, right? I, I came to Fast Company from um, from Fortune magazine, um, and our offices here in, in New York. I uh, I'm down at the the World Trade Center. I overlook the uh, the world the the World Trade Center um, memorial, and uh, and 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 down the way through the window, I can see Wall Street. And uh, you know, when I first got here, and I looked out, and I thought, you know, to what extent should Fast Company be covering you know the Wall Street universe the way? I worked on Wall Street coverage when I was at Fortune, and um, and you know we eventually made the determination that um, that wasn't our story. You know, the Wall Street Journal is going to own that story. Fortune wants to own that story. Bloomberg wants to own that story. That's fine. Let them have that story. That's not where I'm going to be able to add uh, value 
in a distinctive way, but um, but covering the 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 intersection of creativity and marketing, or covering the intersection between design and and products and and design and management. Um, these are areas that weren't really being covered, and and that there were a, a community and constituency of business people who were uh, less excited about the the valuing of business activity based simply on whether a stock price moved, right. you know, a dollar or a nickel today or yesterday, but we're trying to build something of longer term value, both for their organization and, and societally and culturally. And that's the group that we're trying to talk to. And so that defines the kind of coverage that we're going to spend our time um, digging into and the kinds of characters that we're going to decide to, to write about, you know, um, I mean, what, what, the writing stories about Wall Street are great fun, but the stories tend to be about the same thing. They're about greed, right? right. And you, there's great storytelling you can do about greed, but it's a different version of the same story kind of over and over again. When you get into areas of, of creative building of, of products, of companies, um, the, the motivations of the characters and the people involved become much more complicated and new wants and to us more interesting, more fun. Um, now they're not necessarily going to be fun for everybody, but to the fast company reader, hopefully, you know, they're, they're fun. And, and that's what we want to try to, to bring forward. And we want to try to shine a light on the way we think the world is going to look, you know, down the road. Right. And, and to prepare our, our readers for that future. Well, it's interesting when you, when you mentioned the, the your reader right your audience and who you're going after and this is my assumption so correct me if i'm wrong but when i look at you know this audience of sort of early adapters people who are interested in what's next and they're most likely you know clicking around a lot on the internet they're absorbing information all the time you know probably more so than a, let's say a shape magazine right <laughs> where it's like your monthly subscription is just enough um you know how do you balance like the keeping up with the speed of culture and the speed of consumption right. versus, you know, great in-depth, you know, down and dirty, long form storytelling. I mean, you have to mix all of those things, right? You, you, you know, some, listen, it's, it's um, creating content in a magazine or in a website. You know, it's like being a chef and putting a meal together, right? You may love to have a good steak. You may love to have a good steak, but if you have steak, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you have it, you know, as appetizer and main course and dessert, it's not a satisfying meal, right? And after a while, you're going to get tired of it. And so we 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 have to build a, a, a menu and present you with a menu that will engage you and, you know, get you salivating and get your taste buds flowing, um, you know, and, and provide enough variety so that you want to come back and, you know, visit our restaurant over and over again right now you know we all know the diner that has like a menu that has a million things on it and uh, but if you go there you know you, you should only get the hamburger like right i guess what what i what i like to tell my staff for for the magazine is you know what what and and for the website what we are is we're like a chef who's going to go to the the local green market and find what's fresh and and build a menu based on what's fresh right and and we have to keep going out to the market and adjusting our menu based on the stories and the activities that are that are going on right now, 
right? Um, and and not not recreate. I know you loved that, you know, that seafood that we had last week, but that's not what's fresh this this week. And so I can't present you the same thing again. I have to keep <laughs> moving to the next thing. Yeah, that's that's really you know, interesting. That's, you know, there. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that have like, and I feel like you are it, right? But there's an organizations that have innovation units within their business, right? And their their goal is to sort of move at the speed of culture, where you know your entire entity is moving at the speed of culture. Um, does that well, take? We're a, trying to listen. We don't get it right all the time. You know, we we make we make plenty of mistakes, and we. We look around at ourselves sometimes and we say, like, how did we get that wrong? You know, no one's going to get this stuff right all the time. Right. Right. Um, but you got to try. You got to try. And, and it's fun. I, I mean, for us, it's fun. It's fun to be able to, you know, to engage and have people who are doing wild things come by and tell you about them. And, you, you know, you get you, you spend enough time talking to those kinds of people and you you start to get a sense for um, for who's really special. And, uh, you know, sometimes you may, you may pick the wrong, the wrong horse, but it's usually special in some way. Was it, is there anything in, in particular that you, that you feel like you got wrong? Like, was it like, oh, we wrote a 15 page spread on the return of Friendster. And then, oh, I mean, <laughs> listen, I, you know, we, we've, we've done, uh, we've done a lot of stories about, uh, uh, you know, we did a story about Apple in, uh, in, in 2009, 2008 or nine, uh, when the stock was very high. And uh, we thought that uh, uh, optimism about the company was kind of uh, euphoric and uh, and we were right. And over the next year, you know, the, the company uh, had a dip, but um, that was not a long term perspective. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, and and they they've come back and been even better. And I think it's something that that informs the way, we, you know, we tried to learn from that. Um, we, you know, we have a, we have a cover story out now about Amazon and some of the issues and challenges that, that, um, that Jeff Bezos is facing and that the company is facing and trying to, to balance, um, you know, core businesses that they're building their growth on and sort of new innovations and things they're trying, whether that's, uh, you know, the fire phone that they had to write off $170 million for, or, um, or some of their entertainment activities, they're sort of, how is that going to help the bottom line? Um, and, and you could look at, uh, you could look at them and say, oh, they, you know, Jeff screwed up a lot of things and he's lost his way. And, you know, but in the end, we don't want to come away and give our reader the impression that we think Amazon is in trouble or about to go away. You know, um, there, there is a, it's a tremendously strong innovation culture, very distinctive, um, and, and, you know, so it's, it's sort of recognizing the, the missteps, the opportunities, the moment we're in right now, the meal we're creating right now, but, but not that, um, I- inappropriate expectations about where the future is going to lie. Right. Right. Do right. we think Amazon's going to be around 20 years from now? Yeah. I'm pretty sure Amazon's going to be around 20 years from now. Um, you know, there are a bunch of, uh, other entities that we look at and we talk about where we say, you know, are they going to be around 20 years from now? Like, is Air gonna, Airbnb going to be around 20 years from now? Like, maybe they are, maybe they're not. You know, we'll see. I, is something that looks like Airbnb going to be around 20 years from now? Probably, right? Right. You know, um, is Lexus going to be around 20 years from now? Probably. Is 
you know, Tesla going to be around 20 years from now? Maybe yes, maybe no, <laughs> right? Right. Um, which doesn't mean that Tesla isn't a more interesting story right now than Lexus is, right? Um, but we, we have to frame all those things in a, in a way that take our reader to an understanding about where we are right now in time and what, what the possibilities are for the future. Uh, I would imagine journalism is fairly empowering, right? I mean, as a, as a writer, as a storyteller, um, and when you, when you're dealing with this, the, the fast company brand of topics and subject matters and people you want to cover and, and movements and things like that, you know, you have all these different journalistic voices and different things that are out there, um, constantly happening. So I'm curious as just even from a managerial standpoint or just your perspective, when you think, when you work with a team, you know, how do you ensure, Hey, Joe, you've got this freedom of voice on this piece versus, unifying the voice of the, you know, the parent brand, you know, how do you, how do you instill that? I mean, listen, one of the most powerful things about being a journalist is, you know, you can write whatever you want, right? Right. (laughs) You know, you can go go (laughs) and you can interview someone. You can say, I think he was an idiot, whether he was an idiot or not. Right. There is a lot of power and discretion that the first amendment gives us as, as journalists. Um, and you know, we have to be, responsible about the way we execute that. I mean, in terms of the, the, the voice of the, of the, the brand really across all of the media that we're doing, um, it, it is challenging because if everything that we write sounds like me, you know, it's going to get predictable and boring, right? Right. And so we, we need to have the variety of voices and executions in our stories in the same way that we need a variety of topics and a variety of people that we're writing about. It, it, you know, the experience of engaging has to continue to feel fresh. If you feel like, you know, I'm reading a new version of a story that I've read before, um, you know, that's, that's problematic, right? So uh, on the other hand, there are some central things about the relationship we are trying to have with our reader that we try to, um, to connect with. I'll, I'll give you a, you know, a specific example that we, that we deal with when it comes to the, the covers of the print magazine. And on the cover of the print magazine, uh, in the time that I've been here, we ha- always have a photograph of a human being, character, a person. Right. Right. And there are times where my creative director and my team would say, well, we're doing a story about X or Y. It would be easier to illustrate this with type or it'd be easier to illustrate this with, um, you know, with some object. Um, And and I remind them that we are always going to have a person on the cover because we want the relationship that we have with our readers to be warm and friendly and connecting. Right. And there is a there is a humanity that we want to uh, integrate into our uh, into our brand and our experience and our community. And and that, you know, we do that by having people on the cover. We do it through a lot of other things and other choices we're making in the way in the voice we use with our with our stories. But but that's one of the elements that 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 sort of humanity and and warmth. You know, some coverage is at some places is colder. Um, you know, we want to be warmer. We want to be like your partner, uh, your 
don't know whether to say your friend, but someone, uh, someone you trust, someone you want to, you know, engage with in right. a, in a passionate, you know, personal way. That's great. As, I mean, it sounds like a, a, a big job, right? <laughs> you know, to, <laughs> to preserve all these different things. Cause it's at the end of the day, you're dealing with, you know, I would imagine the, a, a great percentage of the people you work with are entrepreneurial, right? Like it's, um, yes. they're creators. They're, they're not like accountants. I'm sure there's some there, but it's, it's very much go out, do your own thing, but Hey, I'm, I need to reel you in on this decision or this, you know, this thing, but I still want you to feel empowered to do what you, we bought you here to do. Um, so when I, and uh, along those lines, when I think about, uh, you know, just you as a leader within the organization, you know, what are some of your like personal brand promises, right? What, where do you, what do you, where do you kind of, uh, plant your roots? You know, are there some truths or goals? Like you kind of keep close to the vest as a leader that you want to instill in your team. Just what's the sort of the, the Bob Safian brand of leadership? Um, I mean, my, listen, my personal style is to try to be as open with my, with my team as I can. And, uh, you know, my door is always open and I always tell people, you know, they should always feel like they can come in. Um, you know, just don't be upset if sometimes I say I can't talk right now. Right. Like that, that, you know, I, I always say you want to come in and ask for a raise anytime anyone wants, they can always come in and ask for a raise. Just, you know, don't be upset if, you know, most of the time the answer is no. Right. I mean, that's the, the reality of, of, of the sort of relationship that I, that I want people to have to be having. I, I feel like um, we have to constantly be sharing ideas and trusting each other and being um, candid. You know, candor is the hardest thing to maintain in organizations where people are um, over time, whether it's hierarchy or, or relationships that build up over time. You know, people don't want to say things that are going to, you know, quote, hurt somebody's feelings or, um, you know, it, it's sort of trying to wash out the things that are. Uh, personal from the things that are professional that we really need to get done. If, if someone has a, a story idea or a story execution that's not working, uh, you know, their colleagues needs, need to be able to be upfront and clear with them about that they don't think it's working and why it's not working and not have that get personal. It's really hard to do. It's, it's really, really hard to do. And it's something that is a sort of constant, ongoing, um, you know, ongoing sort of cleaning out and monitoring that you have to do to try to, you know, scrape away that, that cartilage that builds up over, over time naturally and to get people to, to trust and open up and focus on it's about the work. It's about the, you know, the reader at the end of the day. It's, it's about how we're going to be continuing to advance what we think is a really important story for our readers to embrace, which is that they are the actors in creating uh, the future that th that we all want to live in, that's right? pretty. That's pretty awesome because I, you know, I think about you know, I I do a similar function, but just with brands, right? So we're you know we're constantly thinking of what's new and how can we be entrepreneurial and bring new opportunities and you know do these really interesting things, and you know, but the one um, I don't know, I, I, I guess I'm thankful for this <laughs> is the fact that. I can always tie it back to brand principles, right? I think when it's an editorial platform, it's like, this is cool. This is my point of view. This is how I think this story should be told. Whereas, you know, if I'm doing something with, I don't know, let's, let's call it craft, 
Um, mm-hmm. And I go, okay, I can if I have to say no to someone, I can at least say Kraft doesn't like X, and their corporate mandate is this, and they've already done Y, right? Like I can my reasoning and the the the, um, the arsenal of like just rebuttal information that I can give is a little bit different. Um, so that, that I love the fact that, you know, it's, you have a, a, the same problem, but slightly different because it's an open sort of creators platform from that standpoint. Yeah. That's, you know, you're, listen, you, you know, that you're um, when you, when we're writing about brands, you know, brands like Kraft, Airbnb, Tesla, Amazon, whatever, you know, they all have their own, um, I don't know, their own things that they're, that they're most anxious about, you know, they don't want to be exposed. They don't want to, they don't want to have their brand represented in a way that isn't, you know, directly according to, according to that, uh, that area. And, and so you get information through a certain kind of lens and, um, and understanding what that lens is, is really useful to us in creating the story. But, um, but in writing the story, we need to break out of that. Right. And, and often for the companies, you know, being written about this way is eye opening for them. Right. Because you get so close to your own brand definition that you don't see the limitations that it puts on you sometimes. And, and you don't see the, I know we just, we all fall into these traps and we have the same things here. We fall into these traps ourselves where we say, "Wait, wait, wait, why are we doing this story? You know, why, why, or why shouldn't we be doing that story? There's a, there's a big story that we have up on our site right now about, um, the withdrawal of American troops and materials from Afghanistan. Okay. And you could look at that and you could say, what does that have to do with innovation? Right. (laughs) Right. And what does that have to do with fast company? Um, that's exactly what I did when I looked at the, no, I'm kidding. It was, yeah, no, but, but at its core, it's a, it's what it is, is it's a logistics challenge, right? It's a project about how you're going to get all this materials out of the United States or back to where it belongs. And how do you creatively do that? And what is the business challenge that's involved in that? And, you know, it's, if you open your mind to these things, you can see these questions and challenges all over, all over our world. Um, you just have to get your mind to the right place. And then you have to figure out the way to, okay, how do I tell that story? So that if I'm someone who really what I'm obsessed with is learning more about Apple, why do I care about what's going on in Afghanistan? You know, our job is to, is to draw those connections because you may be able to learn more about Apple from looking at Afghanistan. than you can learn from looking at Apple. I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I think I may have told you this before, but you know, one of the, when we go out to partners or guests or things like that, like one of our sort of pitch lines is like, we're across between fast company and the daily show. Um, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> and so it's, it's funny that you say these things because, you know, in a lot of the conversations that we have, sometimes I'll bring in a guest that's totally off kilter. Like you go, okay. And, and usually during the conversation and before the conversation, I'm thinking of like, how can I take some principles from this conversation and tie it back to my core demo? Right. And so, I mean, I've had, you know, I, I once had um, two co-hosts, a co-hosting couple on a show called uh, Q 
catch a catch a predator or I'm sorry, not catch a predator, catch a contractor. Um, and it was, you know, their their whole mission is, hey, a lot of contractors are taking unfair advantages of the people that they're serving and not doing the job that they're supposed to do. And as me and the the host started to talk, he really he's just so passionate about excellence. And anything less than excellence is not, you know, it shouldn't be out there, right, to, to an extent. And so you start tying these principles back into what your core audience will know. And it, and it does give them a different, at least I hope in my case, it gives them a different perspective on how to approach their next problem or their current problem. Yeah, I mean, these, these are, you know, sometimes these are the stories that, you know, in the situations that are most memorable to us because they shake us out of our you know, our assumptions, right? Because they're getting us out of our, of our normal, I don't know, uh, competitive comparisons. Um, I, I'm, I'm, as you're, you're talking, I was thinking of, you know, in, in early 2008, um, Fast Company put Barack Obama on the cover. And at the time, Obama was trailing Hillary in the, uh, in the primaries. Um, and there were folks on our team were like, you know, well, first, well, you're not a magazine about politics. You know, this guy's behind, you know, it could be embarrassing. Like, why are you doing this? Right. And, and we had a lot of discussions about it. And there were two things. One, one of the reasons we did it was because, you know, we had not had a black man on the cover of the magazine for too long. And, um, and, you know, like, why should we not take this, you know, rising black leader and, um, and talk about him. Right. And, and then the, the story was about um, what we called the brand of Obama at that point, which was, you know, whether he won the nomination or not, whether he became president or not, the, the rise of this, of this character and the, um, the marketplace that he was tapping into, right? This was basically the rise of a new product that was being, whether it, whether it became had number one market share or not, right? Whether he won and moved to the White House, the, the power of this brand indicated that this product was having great resonance in the, the U.S. marketplace. And what did that say about the evolving nature of the American consumer and the American society and the American marketplace, right? And, and it allowed us to talk, about, to talk about communities and changing both both uh, demographically, racially, and uh, and in terms of, of age, and um, you know, now fortunately he, he did win the nomination. He did win the White House, so it made it made us look really prescient. But you know, but that really wasn't the you know you right. can't count on that when you're doing a story like that. What you're really trying to do is use something that is topical and in the news at that moment to get your reader to look at some longer term um, reality, which is the way you know, the consumers and, and the, the, the makeup of the American society is shifting. And, and that should change the way you think about your product, your organization, your leadership team, right? Your, uh, all of it, all of those pieces together. I like how you one-upped my anecdote with the story about the president. <laughs> so thanks a lot for that one. Okay. I have no other anecdotes now. You just shut, you shut them all down. Um, no, that, that's, 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's a perfect example, right? And, you know, when you either you're talking about personal branding or building a business, it's like there's all these parallels that happen in life in different situations and circumstances. 
Um, so as you grow this brand, right, I know I think you guys are considering doing a series of events in L.A. Uh, you know, we know you've done the Innovation Uncensored in uh, New York and San Francisco. You know, as you grow, like what, how do you filter? And I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, but how do you filter like the opportunities that come to the table that you go, okay, we are going to place a bet on this one versus the other 12 that are up on the whiteboard that you feel like are still really strong? I mean, it's, you know, uh, I, I wish I could say that I have, you know, this great proprietary algorithm that allows me to, me to, <laughs> to figure out how we make these choices. You know, uh, I mean, the truth is that we just, Yes, most of the time, you know, you, you make you make the best choice you can at the time. Um, I, I like to think about it that again, the same way I think about cover sometimes, which is you know whether this whether this story this cover sells on the newsstand or not. I want to be proud of it, even if it doesn't sell, right? Um, and and I think that's the way we think about we think about our events too. You know, what is a, a marketplace or an opportunity or a you know a topic? that we feel like can, can elevate the discussion, can bring together a community that we haven't brought together. And, um, you know, and if we don't make a ton of money at it, you know, whatever, like we should be proud of it either way. Right. Right. Um, now those are, those are hard decisions to make because, you know, we, we do have to keep, you know, keep paying the rent and keep paying people salaries. And so I, I can't be, um, you know, I can't be completely dismissive of what the, the P and L and the bottom line is for, for these things. But, um, you know, we've, we've focused in New York and San Francisco on a bunch of our events in part because we have a very, you know, strong audience base there. Um, Los Angeles, we have a strong and, and growing audience base there. And, and that's one of the reasons we're, we're thinking about at that marketplace. We do, uh, we do events every year at South by Southwest at uh, Fast Company Grill that we set up there. We have, you know, uh, uh, thousands of people come through during uh, South by Southwest Interactive. And that's a, a very robust community that that overlaps well with Fast Company. Um, you know, and and so we we look at a lot of these, uh, a lot of these different events, sometimes in different ways. Sometimes it's better to, to latch on to someone else's event as we're doing at South by Southwest. Sometimes it's better to partner with someone at, you know, at a conference they're doing, whether that's, you know, advertising week in New York or in London or the Can Lions or something like that. And, and sometimes it's creating your, your own events. We're going to, this is, you, you know, you, you brought up my, my birthday, this is our 20th anniversary and we're going to have a, a big, uh, 20th anniversary, um, innovation festival, uh, in November or probably, uh, in New York. Um, oh, that's still uh, being worked at between various municipalities that were, uh, trying to keep everybody happy, but get everybody interested. Um, but you know, I, I, we just feel like there's an opportunity right now to use the um, the 20th anniversary as a as a tool to bring together um, a lot of the people who have been central to uh, to our coverage over the last few years, and the people who we think will have the most impact in the years. Uh, to come in the, in the few years that are coming up and to try to drive a conversation at a higher level uh, between all those people and then to allow our, our, our readers and our users and attendees of, of this event to be able to participate in and, uh, and, and add to. That's great. Um, yeah, it should be fun. I was going to say with, with all these sort of assets and efforts and things you're doing, you know, long form uh, media the, with the print publication, plus the online platform, plus events, 
how does Fast Company go about working with brands and you know and an interesting way in an interesting way you know outside of the um, the you know a, a print ad or an advertorial right. <laughs> or I, native yeah. advertising I hate to say but um, yeah I mean I'll I'll you know I'll say that there has historically been a relationship between editorial and uh, advertising partner that is um, strained. Right. You know, that 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 editors don't always trust um, advertisers. And I think, you know, the 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 way I look at uh, native and custom content. um, Historically, what happens is, you know, an an, an advertise an advertiser will come in and and create some will we'll create some custom content and then our editorial team will have to um, drive uh, eyeballs and traffic to that content. And um, the editors don't want to do it. Uh, they don't want to send their readers, their users to content that they are worried is subpar, right? Is right. not on brand, is not, is not up to speed. And, and um, that is something that the best solution to is to make sure that that native and, and, uh, and custom content that you're creating for brands is high quality, really good content that, um, that those users are going to feel like that's really good. Wow. That's great. You know, we did a, we did a, a video series with, um, with, uh, Virgin America earlier this year on our site. And, you know, one of the heads of our digital team was looking at the videos and said, wow, those are really good. I would, I would have done those as edit content. And they were kind of complaining that it should have been done as edit content. Mm -hmm, And I sort of thought, well, that's good. Of course we want it to be that good, right? We want to have the quality of the, of the, of the content that experience be high so that from the, from our user's point of view, when they go to that, they have a good experience and they want to come back. And if they come back to the Virgin America site or they come back to Fast Company, like I just want them to feel good about the investment of their time. Time is the commodity that we are all, you know, so strapped in. And if someone's going to choose to spend their time um, with with us and with our content, we got to make that time feel like it's worthwhile, like they're glad that they did it, you know, like they want to come back. And if I'm pushing them to, you know, whether it's an ad unit or custom site or someone, you know, and, and they, they, they feel like, oh, I'm, why, how do I get stuck in this place? And I hate this stuff. You know, it's not good for anybody. And right. it's not good. It's not good for, for our, for our advertising partners either. Right. All of that stuff should, you know, should be at the highest level it can be. That's going to help everybody. I, I just don't feel like it needs to be adversarial. Um, what did, what did little, what did little Bobby Safian want to be when he grew up? I mean, you're obviously very passionate about this and I don't think, you know, most people grow up and say, I want to be editor of a (laughs) magazine, right? When they're kids. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't really want to grow up, Chris. I just wanted to stay a kid. You you can do that any day of the week. Just, you know, follow me around. I was not thinking I was going to be grown up. Who wants to be grown up? I wanted to be Peter Pan, right? (laughs) That's that's what we all want. We want to, we want to stay kids all the time. I, you know, I, I, listen, I didn't, I didn't really plan on being a a journalist. I I got out of uh, college. I went to a Brown university in Rhode Island and uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And sort of journalism was the, uh, the closest thing I could find at the time that seemed like school, you know, you, 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 you 
work on something for a while, you'd write a paper and then you'd go on to the next thing. And it just sort of seemed, you know, the closest thing I could, I could find. And, um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's been a really fun adventure for me. I mean, it, it is a, it, I, I appreciate now in a way that I didn't maybe when I was, when I was younger, but how, how lucky I am to have a job where I get to call up and talk to people like you and, you know, people who are really smart, who are really good at what they do, who share their stories with me. And I get to feed off of all of that and then, you know, skim the cream off and, and share it with, with other people. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great gift. It's a great gift to be able to have. And, and it is, uh, you know, I'm very lucky to have something that I work on that, um, that I love to do. I think people are better at things when they, you know, are engaged in them and love to do them. And, um, and I, well, you've definitely done a, a, a great job with it. Um, as we start to close a little bit, uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. One, obviously, the show is called Innovation Crush. And I'm curious as to uh, Bob Safey and the man who's seen it all uh, is currently crushing on that's out there in the marketplace. You know, what's, oh, what's something you've seen? Like, gosh. oh, my gosh, that's um, awesome. Those, those are tough questions for me. I, I will say that the story, the big story that I that I am uh, intrigued and, uh, and obsessed with. I think, you know, Apple as a, as a big story has been a really interesting story, you know, because of Steve Jobs, because of its rise, it becomes sort of emblematic of so many things. But the transitions that are underway there now with, with Tim Cook building his own team and bringing in new people and how that company um, operates in the long run you know, as the legacy, as Steve's presence fades and the legacy adjusts. I think that's a really, you know, I think that's a really um, interesting, really interesting story for, for us as journalists. And, and it, it's interesting because also because, you know, readers are intrigued with Apple. So it allows us to, to get into a lot of those kinds of, um, of topics and stories. We just touched on something that's pretty interesting, too. I think about, you know, the Tim Cook story, kind of this idea of stepping into big shoes, right? you got big shoes to fill. And I would imagine, like, you you know, when before you came on board at uh, Fast Company, there was definitely some thinking and strategy that went into your personal approach to how to create success, right? Oh, the new guy's coming, <laughs> right? How do you navigate the, the new guy's coming naysayers? Uh, and like, what, what are some of the strategies and tactics you take to see success? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mostly, um, have to not be afraid of getting fired. You know, you just got to do what you think is the best is the right thing to do and not try to, you know, second guess and play by somebody else's rules. And I, I mean, I, I, I was the editor of another magazine at a certain point where the ownership wanted to take the magazine in a different way than I wanted to. And I tried to sort of accommodate them and, uh, you know, it didn't work out well. It wouldn't, it was, it was destined not to work out well. You, you, you've, you've got to do what you feel is the right thing to do. And if the people you're working with, or you're working for don't appreciate that and don't want that, you know, I'm not saying that you can't learn from, from other folks, but you know, if you, if you're really passionate about something and someone wants to take something a different way, then maybe it's not the right place for you, right. you know? And, and I mean, it's, I, listen, I have people say to me all the time when they're at, 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 you know, at big companies and they say, you know, I want to be a change agent here, but if I do that, you know, 
I'm going to get fired or I'm worried I'm going to get fired. And of course, it's easy for me to say it. It's not, it's not my life, right? Yeah, you're not you snatching food off of other people's tables right there. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. that's, that's tough. But, yeah. but, but what, I, what I like to, what I tend to advise them is, you know, you should go and do what you think is the right thing. You should be that change maker inside that organization. And if you are that person, if the organization um, rejects you, if the organism can't take you there because, you know, if the organism rejects you because you're, you're too much of a change agent, someone else will appreciate that. Right. You know, some other organization will appreciate that and you will be better off for it when you're in that other place. That's great advice. I think, I think we just stumbled upon the title of the episode. Don't be afraid to get fired. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Every day. Every day the door is open is a good day. That's great. Uh, last but not least, uh, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is? Changing. Always changing. Innovation is, is agile and, you know, it, it just can't really be defined. That is, that's what I love about it. You know, it's in the eye of the beholder. I love it. I love it. Um, well, thank you for joining us. This is awesome. Uh, I couldn't have appreciated your time more. <laughs> well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. It was, it was, it was fun. Fun to talk with you as always. Yeah, always. And then it, it, how can people find you or get in touch with you or any kind of shameless plugs you want to you wanna throw out there? Feel free. Oh, I, you know, we're, we're on newsstands everywhere. You come to fastcompany.com and my Twitter handle is at rsafian. So uh, uh, you can find me on, on Twitter that way too. All right. Well, thank you again, everyone. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush and we will talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it. On the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Slicinger. I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash Wait for it, comedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and 3 comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.